The Talk of the Street is brought to you by Donahue Solicitors, an award-winning firm of expert compensation claims lawyers. Donahue Solicitors represents claimants throughout England and Wales in their civil actions against the police, data breach, personal injury, and professional negligence claims. To start your compensation claim, go to www.donahue-solicitors.co.uk or call 08000-124-246 today. Brilliant. Oh, you should have seen little Harry's face when he saw the soft play area. Oh, <laughs> it's such a good idea, isn't it? Having a kiddies claw. Yeah, it is. Yeah, I mean, it means you can come away and barely have to spend any time with the little ones. I mean, it's no wonder they're so popular. It's her. Who? It's Lorraine Kelly. On a pedalo. and welcome to episode 54 of the Talk of the Street, an unofficial Coronation Street catch-up podcast that noticed how quickly Natalie seems to be able to transport herself betwixt Weatherfield and a country retreat at incredible speeds. Gary did his best impression of Hans Moretti and finds himself wrapped up in novelty chains in Rick's office and Gail went out of her way to kill a popular UK TV presenter. I'm Gavin. And I'm sleepy. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm feeling better. Well, that's good. Thank you for all of your... Good wishes on the Facebook on the and on the Twitter, y'all. And an email, yes. Yes, I really appreciate it. Um, the fifth doctor I've gone to about this. I've lost count. <laughs> who is the surgeon who did my wonderful hernia surgery in January. He thinks it's just my body continuing to heal and gave me some nerve medication, which seems to be working because it's, it's specifically for nerve pain. As opposed to muscle pain and all that other stuff. So, Does that suggest that the surgery the other week was unnecessary? Maybe, maybe not. But, I mean, it was necessary to see if something was going on. And, and I'm glad that it went well. He told me he was, he was kind of worried about getting around all the mesh and other stuff. Oh, yeah, they were worried yeah. about that. Because there's yeah. a huge amount of mesh in your belly. Mm-hmm. Yes. However, he did say... That everything looked beautiful, that my ovaries were beautiful and everything. So, I'm beautiful on the inside. Isn't that nice? There's a phrase I never thought we'd mention on the Coronation <laughs> Street podcast. That I have beautiful ovaries. Ovaries are beautiful. Well, my mine are. I mean, I saw a photograph of them. I have nothing to compare them with. They looked kind of funky. I love, I love insides, showing you. Insides look kind of funky, though. I love showing you these pictures of my insides. I'm fascinated by them. Yeah, I'm less so. Yeah. I'm quite happy that being in the dark. <laughs> Don't really need to see what that looks like. Like when I showed you my cancer. Remember that? Well, that polyp, yeah. Yeah, it was shaped like a penis. <laughs> yeah, your doctor, and balls. your doctor found that immensely amusing. Yes, he did. He said oh. one of the nurses wanted to date my polyp. <laughs> <sighs> I referenced Hans Moretti in my opening preamble. I have no idea who that is. Yeah, that's a reference for the kids there. He was an escapologist and illusionist who regularly featured on Paul Daniels' magic show in the 1980s with his wife and assistant Helga. He doesn't do it anymore because he died in 2013. That's that's too bad. It's Britain's Got Talent Week, y'all. 
This is the second Britain's Got Talent week that we've covered. Can you remember what happened during the first one? Erin died. No. As an ice cream truck goes by. <laughs> I don't remember. Feeling groovy. Oh, that's right. It, it was, was a whole feeling, feeling thing. Yep. When Michelle got shot at her wedding. Yes, eventually. Yeah. Yeah. So last time, everything that happened this week or that mm-hmm. week happened on one day. We don't we don't do that this week, but no. It was still a much better week than it's been. Oh, it was recently. such a much better week. I especially from Wednesday onwards. I thought two thumbs up the whole way through. Oh, the I, whole way through. Mm-hmm. So much better than last week. I mean, the horse stuff and the Gail shooting that woman kind of seemed out of place for a week that, on the whole, was rather serious and dramatic. But yeah, from Monday through Thursday, we had. Kind of one major storyline and three other supporting ones that two of which were a bit light-hearted and fluffy. Yes. That well, or was it two of them or just one of them? Yeah, maybe probably just one of them. Well, two of them: the horse thing and the Gale shooting whoever that woman is, which oh, was totally lost at me. Laurie Kelly, yeah. Yeah, I have no idea who that is. She's a very famous Scottish. TV presenter. Well, I knew she was Scottish. Yeah, what, what was your first clue? <laughs> She's from Dundee. Oh, that explains it. Yeah, that tends to explain anything <laughs> about anybody from Dundee. Or oh. Brotty Ferry. I don't know if she's a Brotty Ferry girl. But anyway, she's a kind of, yeah, a sweetheart of daytime TV watchers. Ah. Of which I am not one of them. So she's I kind of... inoffensive. Is she kind of like the Ellen DeGeneres? A little bit, yeah. She has yeah. a little show at the end of Good Morning Britain called Lorraine, where she has... Oh, so she's kind of like um, Hoda and... What's her name? That woman who used to be with Regis. Kathy Lee. So she's like Kathy and Hoda. I've no idea who that is. They're the ones that, at the end of Good Morning America, they have a little show where they, they drink alcohol on air and, and talk about fun stuff. Sure. I've never watched and it. And so. get drunk in the middle of the day. Or the end of the morning, or the middle of the morning. (laughs) So shall we preamble then, Amadir? Yes, please. In our mailbag, John G, how on earth can the writers get Corey out of this current mess? It really is abysmal, and even some of the better characters are turning into knobheads. That's right, he said (laughs) knobheads. And I agree. I'm just hoping that Jan is Kazia's father who is hell-bent on revenge, taking out multiple people in the style of the revenge plot in the film Severance, with Nick getting his leg caught in a bear trap, Gary standing on a landmine, and Tim's dad being decapitated. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was thinking more along the lines of Liam Neeson, who I referenced in our common language about having a very, very specific set of skills. Liam Neeson does? And he's going to come after you oh, yeah. because you kidnapped his daughter yeah. from underneath the bed. Yeah, sadly that's not all he's thinking about doing. Let's skate on. Let's skate it on. Also, they could make it realistic by getting Gail carted off to the funny farm, which is where she belongs these days. She had a few serious bits this week that kind of redeemed her from yes. that. But yes, that's absolutely. A pretty, that's a pretty fair comment from, from previous weeks. Yes. Then Gail from Canada dropped us an email. Ooh. I wonder if she knows Helen. Look, you get upset when people assume that everybody from Scot- in Scotland knows one another. So let's not make the same assumptions about people in Canada. 
It's a larger country than Scotland. I'd be interested to know, though. Hello, Helen and Gavin, she says. I just finished listening to your podcast, Queen of Edge, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. Yay! Gail, that is great to hear. I'm all about validation. Gail goes on, (laughs) I am a Canadian viewer, and as you probably know, I'm about two weeks behind. I completely agree with you guys in disliking Tim's dad. I'm also very disappointed in Roy behaving way out of character in regards to Carla. Thank you! Especially getting Peter out of rehab. Seriously! Helen, I hope you feel better soon. Take Thank care, you. and I'm looking forward to your next podcast. Isn't that Aww, lovely? Oh, that is lovely. We got lots of validation this week. There's a little bit of uh, celebrity val- validation from Charlie DeMello, which, yes. which just made our day <laughs> completely. It so made my day. I was just, I was a little Twitter painted yeah, from I, it. I was interviewing someone when you texted me, <laughs> and I had a little glance at it, and I kind of zoned You're out like, of the... Aww? kind of zoned out of the the interview for a while as I came to terms with the fact that it seems that Charlie does listen to our podcast. <laughs> and the thing that he was referencing was 95% of the way through it. So, so he at least <laughs> almost got to the end of it. That just made my day. Oh, it's nice to know that he is another another fan of, of Rankin-Bass. Absolutely. Little um, stop motion animation shows. I wonder which one is his favourite. Mine is Santa Claus is Coming to Town because yes. I used to have a crush on Fred Astaire. Which Ew. is weird because he was already dead for like 20 years before I was born. Or maybe 10 years. I don't know. But yeah, when I was a kid, I had a crush on Fred Astaire and Bing Crosby, which is hmm. odd. And Mark Hamill, which is understandable. But I had a thing for Marilyn Monroe and Audrey Hepburn. I think everybody had a thing for Marilyn Monroe, didn't they? Especially yeah, our generation. Mm-hmm. Gen Xers really love the whole Marilyn mystique. Yeah, there's something about the story that just is a bit compelling. Plus, she was that hot. difficult to look at. So, yeah, yeah. Um, one of our children, there was a picture of Marilyn Monroe in the restaurant we went to for Mother's Day, and she asked me who that was. <laughs> and I was like, "Oh dear God!" So when we came home, I uh, I put on a Marilyn Monroe movie, and I really wanted to show her some like it hot because that's my favorite. But it's only on Amazon Prime, and we weren't signed into Amazon Prime at the moment, and you had to run off to take somebody to soccer or do something. So we ended up watching River of No Return, which is one that I used to love as a kid, because that's a Western, you know, and my mom really loved it. And it hasn't aged well. (laughs) Would you imagine that, you know, a Western that makes Native Americans the baddies for for no apparent reason where I'm constantly having to say to Steli, they wouldn't actually do that and they wouldn't actually do that and wait who wouldn't actually do what well there's a scene where the it, the native americans are up on the cliff and robert mitchum and marilyn monroe and the kid are on the raft going down river and escaping the native americans who burned down robert mitchum's cabin and um, and that was kind of understandable because he was on Native American land. But he's like, well, I bought it from the government, so it's okay. And I had to explain all of that to Stelly. But they're like shooting at them from the, the top and they're still following them. And then they get in the river. The Native Americans are swimming in the river towards the raft to go and kill them. And I'm like, they wouldn't actually do this because these people are leaving their land. So they're no longer a threat. So... They wouldn't actually do this. 
And then there's a really disturbing scene, like where Marilyn Monroe and Robert Mitchum are like walking away from the fire and everything, and they're they're talking, and she's like, "I'm not really a bad person, you know," and I just fell in love with this guy who was kind of rotten and everything, and she's just being nice to Robert Mitchum, but Robert Mitchum takes it the wrong way. <sighs> And kind of wrestles her to the ground Uh-oh. and is like kissing her and she's like, no, no. And he's still doing it. And he's supposed to be the good guy. He's the hero of this story. And I'm just mm. really glad that Stella was in the bathroom during this. <laughs> and I'm like, why did I not remember this scene where Robert Mitchum almost rapes Marilyn Monroe, but stops because all of a sudden there's a mountain lion going to attack his kid by the fire and the kid shouts for, for his paw. And that's what stops Robert Mitchum from raping Marilyn Monroe. And I'm like, why is this scene in here? What is the point of this? And in the end, you know, she's singing in the saloon after uh, Robert Mitchum's kid shoots shoots her, you know, fiance who's about ready to shoot Robert Mitchum, you know, and the kid is like traumatized because he killed somebody. And Marilyn Monroe says, it's okay because he was going to kill your pa. <laughs> And then she goes and she goes and she starts singing in the saloon. She sings the River of No Return song. Robert Mitchum comes in and picks her up and carries her out over his shoulder. She's like protesting. He puts her in the cart with the kid. She's like, where are you taking me? And he says home. And all of a sudden that's okay. And she's going to go with him and I guess marry him. And they're going to be a happy family. But he just like bodily picked her up and took her out of the saloon without her consent. And I'm like, oh, my God, why? Why is Sub Like It Hot behind <laughs> We will have another section of our podcast next week where we ruin <laughs> another classic movie. So, yeah, we really need to sign into... I really do still want to show her Sub Like It Hot because I believe that holds up. Hindsight Men in co- drag. Hindsight it co- always works. Hindsight Corner. <laughs> Holy shit. You started it with your whole Barrel Edward Row thing. Yeah. One of those instant regrets that yeah. seem to last for five minutes. <laughs> Scott, who is, of course, at Mercy Tart and writes five things we learned in Cory this week for the Cory blog. Which was really good last week. It's always good. Yeah. He did some hindsight cornering for us regarding Ooh. Beth and Kirk. They were married, and then it turned out that Beth was still married to Craig's dad, and so she was a bigamist. <laughs> no, bigamy. They split up, then got back together, and I think the writers have kind of forgotten that they're not actually married, and have never got around to making them do it again. So there we know. Thanks, Scott. This has Robert and Michelle and Sinead and Daniel written all over it. Yeah. Yeah, it does. What you drinking? I am drinking a lovely spring edition kombucha. Bloom. It's got elderflower, jasmine, and violet in it. And it's really nice. And it's settling my tummy nicely. Because I ate fried food for the first time in like four months tonight. And it really upset my tummy. Except for that elephant here. That elephant here was fried. But that's fried bread. It, it's not the same as fried chicken for unsettling one's tummy. I also went to the grocery store for the first time in two months. That was fun. Yeah. Yeah. What are you drinking? I have my Heineken Zero and some other kombucha thing. Is it the ginger cayenne or ginger lemon? It's a lemon cayenne. Ooh. 
Oh, yes, lemon cayenne or lemon ginger. It's 35 calories less than the ginger lemon one. Ooh. Which has 40 calories. Look at Mr. Counting his calories. How much? How many calories is this in the Heineken Zero? Oh, about 50. 50 or 60. Really? It's less than regular beer, yeah. Yeah. So it's the alcohol that causes all the calories. And the tits. Yes. <laughs> Heineken's not in IPA. Beer just generally. I thought IPAs are the things. only beer that give you tits. IPAs definitely give me tits, yes. yes. Which is fine. Oh, I don't really. mind. I do. <laughs> Shall we dive in, my dear? Yes, please. Our first storyline is one of the big ones. It's the Platts Holly Bobs. Yay! So we have five episodes that lasted around uh, about 22, 23 minutes this mm-hmm. week as opposed to 44 minutes. So we're missing 23 minutes or so. Which is fine. Which we've kind of taken up with discussion about that Marlon Monroe movie. <laughs> On Monday, next loading up the old Rover 75 with his kit for the weekend, and he jokes with Leanne, but she's having none of it. Nope. Until he comes clean with her, there's no hope for them, and yep. she'll be going nowhere. Yeah. She's turning down a holiday because he's an asshole. That He's got to be a really big asshole for that, doesn't he? Well, when we discover where the holiday is... I don't know. It looked nice. The wee cabins with the archery and the climbing rock and the river and the paddle boats. I would enjoy that holiday. We should go there. It seemed that they were taking all the the population of number eight and moving them into somewhere even smaller. Eh. We never saw the kids. The kids were always doing something else. You know what's that? Anyway. Well, they were in briefly and then they were back out again. It was fine. D.S. Beckett's at the barbers looking for Nick or David and Natalie tells her uh, that they're away and Beckett has a warrant to search the premises. Uh-oh. <laughs> the plot. The Platts have arrived at the lodge. It's 9.30 and Sarah is going to put Harry down. For a nap, not like a dog. But at 9.30? In the morning or in the night? In the morning. He's just got up. Yeah, it's probably nap time. He probably was up at like 6. He's a wee guy. And she's also lost her phone, would you believe? Bethany takes the other kids for a wander and Audrey's feet are killing her. In comes Gail. She ran all the way from the shop. Lorraine Kelly's here, she says. She forgot to buy the milk, and so she goes back to the shop again. Shona, it seems, is still in the mood with David. Well, of course she is. I'm kind of surprised that she turned up. She's not one to turn down a holiday. No. Plus, the rest of the plats love her, as we shall see. And she's the phone thing is just doing it for the kids. Right, yes, because she loves those kids. Leanne hasn't gone after all, and she sees the police taking stuff out of the barbers. They're taking paperwork and computers mm-hmm. and things. Then Nick arrives at the lodge looking for David. He makes an, ex- an excuse for Leanne not being there. Gail insists that she's seen uh, Lorraine Kelly again, and privately, Nick has a go at Sarah for breaking into Rick the Chins, but she wants to know why he's lying about the money. How does he know? Leanne told him? Did Leanne tell him about Rick the Chin? How does he know? He, le- he wait, seems wait to imply that Leanne told him, but Leanne's pissed off at him. Oh yeah, during that... I think during that fight at the end where she said, did you, we searched this loan shark. Oh, right. Yeah, she I did. I think. Yeah. yeah. She's not going to stop until she gets some answers. Says Damn Sarah. it. The plat women minus Shona are having a cuppa at the side of a boating lake when Gail stands up. It's her, she says. It's Lorraine Kelly in a pedalo. Hmm. Yeah. This... And a pedalo is like a, it's like a paddle boat. Yeah. Here that you paddle like around 
Boston Harbor. It's like the swan boats, only without the swan part. Yeah, pedalos. Yeah. We don't call them pedalos here. First saw a pedalo in Mallorca when I was five. Pedalo kind of sounds like... Pedophile. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but aquatic. An aquatic pedophile. You. Yeah, I'm not sure that's a good thing. In fact, I'm pretty sure it's not. Yeah. Moody Shona is on a rock climbing wall while David and Nick watch. Nick tells David that Leanne has found out that he was lying about the money and Leanne has texted Nick to let him know the police have confiscated the laptop and some paperwork from the barbers. Then David spots Natalie. She's somehow managed to work out where they are and get there super duper quick. I think she they told her where she, she, they were going to be. We didn't see that though, did we? No. No, but I guess so it's kind of there. assumed. Because she saw the thing and she wants to tell them. <sighs> Which is weird. All of a sudden, she seems really concerned about this when she has been dangling the idea of her spilling the beans. Hell bent, I All this say. time. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of weird that all of a sudden she's concerned for them. So meanwhile, Gail, Sarah and Bethany are in a pedalo now. And they're trying to pedal away and trying to chase after the person that they think is Lauren Kelly. But we can tell by... Well, that Gail thinks is Lauren Kelly. But we can tell by the back of her head that it's absolutely not. And they're just going round in circles because they can't, I don't know, coordinate the pedalling or whatever. Apparently. And from the shore, the actual Lorraine Kelly reckons that they're about to capsize. Yes. For an actress, Lorraine Kelly makes a very good daytime TV presenter. Yeah, well, she's playing herself. Yeah. It's easy to play yourself. Mm. One would think. Mm. David tries to find out from Natalie what she's told the cops, but she was wasted and can't remember. He tells her to keep her mouth shut, but she doesn't think she can because they want to talk to her. David says he'll take care of it, and Shona, meanwhile, sees most of this happen, and she sees him David like, holding... Yeah. He's not really holding her hand, but I think he's kind of got by the wrists a little bit. Right, he's he? trying to comfort her a little bit, mm. and Shona sees this from the top of the climbing wall, because she's going climbing with the kids. Climbing walls are fun. I like climbing walls. Have you climbed a climbing wall before? Uh, that would be a hard no. <laughs> I climbed the rigging in a tall ship once. That was fun. Okay. <laughs> Meanwhile, the plat women are trying their hand at archery when Natalie shows up. Nick slinks over to her and tells her to bolt just as Gail is about to take her shot. Audrey says, is that Natalie? And Gail pulls her shot and ends up shooting Lorraine Kelly in the leg. Or the arse. It's really in her arse, isn't it? The thigh. Upper thigh. Upper thigh. Arse. Kind of area. Yeah. You silly woman. You silly wee woman. You've shot me in the airs. <clears throat> that was my Dundee accent. Yeah, it was terrible. Yeah, you'd think I would get you'd think you'd be better at that. To it. Yeah. Luckily, Lorraine Kelly was wearing thick trousers, so the arrow only went in a wee bit. Correct. Gail blames Natalie distracting her, and that's, that's enough to send Shona <laughs> stomping off for a wee lie down. Nick claims that she was there to give him some work, and Audrey thought it was nice of her to travel all this way. Gail didn't know she had a tattoo. Uh-oh. And Audrey thinks that Natalie's a bit of a weirdo. Well, yes. In the bedroom, David tries to talk to Shona. He tells her about the police sniffing around the barbers, something to do with Nick and the factory roof. But Shona isn't interested. The engagement is off. She's hanging around for the kids, but wants fuck all to do with them. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. Which, after all that we've been through, this is very frustrating for me. Yeah. She seemed, uh, Shona that is, to go for the jealous and suspicious 
partner very quickly. Yeah. From this, from somebody who's just quickly. a co-worker. It right. Felt a little bit. And expedited. after after David has already forgiven her for having a son to kill his wife. Yeah, that, that not was very that. long ago. Mm-hmm. You'd think she'd be a little bit more understanding. Because David forgave her for having a son who, and for caring about the son. Yeah. And for helping the son get away, even I, though he's a guy who killed his wife. I guess David hasn't helped matters by being kind of secretive about the whole thing. and Yeah. And touching Natalie for when he really probably shouldn't. Mm, yeah. So on Tuesday, David and Shona are in the lodge doing the dishes. He notices that she's not wearing her engagement ring anymore. You can have it back, she says. I don't Uh-oh. want anything. Meanwhile, the internet is exploding with memes about Gail trying to kill Lorraine Kelly. Only not mentioning Gail, just Lorraine Kelly. Yeah. And this offends Gail. Yeah, because she thinks that Lorraine is milking it. Yeah. Everyone's off to the pool, but Gail, she holds back. She has a couple of things to deal with. So Gail is in the lodge on her own, checking out Natalie's Facebook and all those conveniently placed pictures of her tattoo. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Hmm. Then Nick is back at the lodge, and Gail shows him the photos of Natalie and her tattoo. Gail reckons it's the same as the tattoo she saw on the CCTV of the person who was trying to rip off uh, Audrey. Yes. She was the one who stole Audrey's money, she thinks. She was the one who was helping Nigel Havers. Nick poo-poo's it. It must be coincidence, he says, but Gail isn't buying it and reveals that she's called the police. Already? Yeah, she's, <laughs> she's not hanging about. They're probably arresting her as they speak, she says. Nick doesn't think she had any justification for this, but Gail, she don't give a fuck. It all makes sense. Nick wants to speak to David and Gail wants to come too. She goes off to get her bag while Nick gets a text from Natalie. We're fucked, it says. I'm out of here. Yep. Then back on the street, the police are still sniffing around the barbers and Natalie is already back and she heads into the tram station Actually, instead. that text was very, it's very specifically says, it's over, I'm out of here. Yeah, and she sends it to both Nick and to David. Yeah. Because back at the lodge, David has got the same text from Natalie. Only but he's not the one who sees it. No, can you guess who reads it? Hmm. It's Shona. Yeah. And she throws the phone at him. She calls him busted. She never saw this coming after everything that they've been through. Mm-hmm. And she's about to storm off. But David says he's going to explain everything, but he needs to speak to his grand first. Give me an hour, he says. Right. And off he goes. <laughs> because he seems to think, once I clear this up and confess that I've stolen money from my grand, Shona will take me back. Mm-hmm. And there's a chain of command here. I need to tell Audrey first before I tell you. Right. Well, because Audrey is the one who he stole money from. So he wants to come clean first. So that he can say, look, I came clean about this. And I'm going to make it all better. I don't know. So David catches up with Audrey. She's reminiscing about uh, Nigel Havers and chats about how much she loves spending time with her family like this. This is really very important to her. It's the last refuge. But David disagrees. He says he's let her down. Audrey doesn't think so and says that she's proud of David and of Nick. Then Nick and Gail are desperate to find David. Gail fills in Shona and the others about Natalie being the CCTV woman. Shona had no idea about this and thought she was having an affair with David. Nick then wonders why David was keen to find Audrey and runs out looking for them. So standing out on a pier, very dramatically I thought, David is apologetic again. He's done things he hates himself for. Then Nick shows up wanting to know if everything's okay. David needs to tell Audrey. Nick lies and says Natalie took the money and was Nigel Haver's accomplice. David calls bullshit on that and says it was Nick. Nick stole your money, not Nigel Haver's, and David helped him spend it. 
Nick walks away wondering how exactly he's going to talk himself out of this one. Quite the dramatic moment there, though, on Tuesday. Yes. Yeah, that was that was really intense. The confrontation of... I thought Nick was going to push both of them <laughs> into the into the lake and drown them or something. Yeah. The way that they were placed and everything. It did have a hashtag quicksand moment. Yes, it did. About it. It could have gone that way. Yeah. I'm glad it didn't, though. Well... On Wednesday, Nick says that David is out of his mind, but David is just glad it's all over and tells Audrey that Nigel Havers knew nothing about this. This was all Nick and David. Then Nick changes his tune and says it just got out of hand. He tells her that Nigel Havers would have fleeced her anyway, so it might as well have been them that did it. Right, because at least they're family. Yeah. (laughs) This is a bit of a stretch. Yeah. We would have gotten the money eventually anyway, Grand, when you kicked the bucket, so it just helped you skip skip a step. And your boyfriend was going to rip you off. Yeah. So Nick says he was going through money issues, he was going to put it back, but Nigel Havers died, and so they thought they'd end up having to keep it. Next, that makes no sense. Audrey turns on David. What's his excuse? And he says, well, I wanted to be my own boss. <laughs> <laughs> and it came out that David forced Nick into investing in the barbers. They had to put the money somewhere, and Audrey says they stole from her twice. First the money, and second taking Nigel Havers' memory from her, and, and also her ability to grieve. Correct. Nick doubles down on the Nigel Havers would have stolen it anyway line, and Audrey fucking slaps him in the chops. Yay! And his reaction to that was, because obviously it wasn't, probably wasn't that sore. No. But the fact that your gran has just basically punched you in the face. Yeah. He was, he looked broken. As he should. Yeah. I I thought it was a wonderful scene. Mm. She's washed her hands of the pair of them, and she storms off. So while they're on their own on the pier, Nick tells David that there was no need for this. But David disagrees. Natalie's a head case. The police are all over his accounts. At least this way, Audrey hears the truth. Nick can't believe he'd risk losing Max and Lily and doesn't think Kylie would be impressed. This seems to set David off and the two of them struggle for a little bit until Nick manages to get David in a headlock and is kind of choking him. Yeah. And David's kind of having trouble... Breathing here. Yeah. And then Nick throws David to the ground into a puddle and calls himself a saint compared to David. David has redeemed himself and has has grown as a person. Nick has not redeemed himself at all and keeps lying to everyone, including himself, and continues to do so even after this and doesn't seem to be able to stop lying. It's pretty awful. Well... David has done terrible things. Yes. But everybody's done terrible things. Yes. And I don't honestly believe that Nick would be able to get David into a headlock that quickly. Yes, he's taller than him, but David's pretty tough and knows how to fight. As we saw in the boxing match. Yeah. So... I, really, I was surprised that Nick was able to overpower him, yeah. Yeah. And so quickly as well. That that didn't seem that didn't seem real to me. Yeah, it didn't sit quite true. No. Nick was always more of a thinker than a fighter. fighter. Yeah. So Audrey gets back to the lodge and explains to Gail that Natalie was just a hired help. It was actually David and Nick who stole her money and bought the barbers. Shona doesn't think David would do that, but Audrey says, Well, he admitted it. Sarah explains about the money that went through the factory accounts right. and Nick said that that was Elsa's. Audrey says they will both pay for this. 
this holiday isn't going all that well, is it? No. So Nick and David get back to the lodge. This was funny. After all that, after getting thrown to the ground, David is covered in muck. But he's fine. And the two of them have just walked back from the pier back to the lodge. Together. Yeah. That was weird. That was very... I was like, what the heck? We just saw him sprawled out, passed out, after having his airway blocked into a mud puddle. And he's fine now? What? Hmm. Yeah, that didn't Brothers, sit well. I guess. How could you, says Gail? It's complicated, says Nick. Well, yeah. it seems pretty black and white to me, says Gail. Audrey wants to wake up and find out that none of this has happened. David says that he'll make it up to her, but Nigel Havers can't have another funeral, says Audrey. No. David, well, Rana got two memorials. Remember oh, the memorial? shut up. <laughs> David thinks, well, that was a bit harsh. <laughs> David thinks that at least this clears things up about him and Natalie, because that's the important takeaway from all this. All right. He was never unfaithful. Shona's is like, do you think this is better? Yep. Shona says no good man has ever done this to their own flesh and blood. Nick thinks that they're family. They can work this out. And Gail wants to speak to Audrey alone. Oh, and when Shona, you know, says that and everything and says this is awful, Nick rather cruelly is like oh well you shut up this is a family matter and gail stands up for shona and says don't you dare say that to her she's more family than you are to us and that was a fantastic scene that was my one of my favorite things that happened this week that was that was really good and it was just a really lovely nod to the fact that they've really become a family at this point and i was i was quite touched by that Gail's always had Shona's back. Or, mm. or recently she has. Mm, yeah, recently, but not always. Gail wonders if Nick's behaviour is, is explained by his brain injury. And Audrey <laughs> isn't buying it. Gail wants Audrey to show the same forgiveness that she showed to Nigel Havers and begs for Audrey to show them mercy, if not for their sake, then for hers. Which is strange because just two minutes beforehand, she was condemning them just as much as Audrey was. Yeah, it's a big ask. And it's a big ask. So on Thursday, Holly Bob's over. Nick and David return to the street. Well, for Holly Bob's over for them. Yeah. Nick, perhaps inexplicably given what's happened, has given David a ride in his fancy Rover 75. The worst car ever made. <laughs> oh. oh. Just hated that car. Aww. Back home, Leanne wonders why Nick is home early. Nick says he's about to be honest with her. But he's not really. <laughs> Back at the lodge, David keeps calling Shona and she keeps dinging it. Gail's had David in her bed and neither of them have slept a wink. David the dog. Correct. The four generations of Platt women and Shona contrive off another way to keep the kids out of the storyline. Audrey's keen to go home. She has calls to make. Gail takes this to mean that she's ignoring her advice of forgiveness, but Audrey's off to the cemetery to say goodbye to Nigel Havers properly. Yes, which is nice. We don't get to see the confrontation between Nick and Leanne, but she seems to have taken it quite well. You get to see a a bit of it. They're sitting at the table and he's... Post-confession, though. He's he's sort of explaining why he did it. But he's still lying. She could understand David doing this, but Nick? Which is a bit harsh there, (laughs) Leanne. Go fuck yourself. Nick sells a story that this was all David's idea and that's how Natalie the solicitor got involved. But Leanne isn't happy now that Natalie isn't a solicitor. Mm. She's not happy with all these lies. No. She's had enough. 
Nick wants to tell her the whole story. Mm-hmm. He really wanted to pay her back. Mm-hmm. Audrey, that is. Yes. He tearfully says the plan was to pay her back, and he swears on Oliver's life. Oliver, who is nothing to him. Well, he seems to be something um, later on. But this whole, oh, it was David's idea, and I wanted to pay them back. That really got my goat, because a couple of weeks ago, when David's like, all right, well, we need to start paying Grand back for this. We need to do this. Nick was like, no, we're not going to do that. So it was David mm-hmm. who was less of a body and wanted to make things right. And Nick wasn't. So for Nick to already start be starting to throw David under the bus when David's not even there, it doesn't bode well, does it? Uh, David deserves to be at least partially under the bus. But not if anybody's going to throw him under the bus and condemn him, it's not going to be Nick. No. It shouldn't be Nick. Nick stole the money. 100%. Absolutely. David just found out about it and extorted them into buying the barbers. Right. Nobody's coming up smelling the roses. No, here. no, but Nick is worse because he's also making money out of this barbers. Right. So, Gail's home at number eight. David wonders where Shona is and it turns out that she stayed at the lodge. She's looking after the kids because she's all about the kids. Yes. David worries that Audrey's and Bethany off, stayed too. off to the cop shop, but Gail thinks she managed to talk her out of it. David says he doesn't deserve that, and Gail doesn't think Audrey will ever get over it. David says he'll get her her money back, but Gail thinks he's going to have a hell of a job. She's moving out. She'd rather set her tits on fire than spend another night at number eight. <laughs> <laughs> then Imran literally bumps into Audrey on the street, causing her to drop the wreath that she's just bought for Nigel Havers. He talks to her about Nick's guilt and doesn't want her defending him. Audrey says that she's keeping it in the family, but they're talking at cross-purposes. Mm-hmm. Imran is talking about the loan shark in the roof. Audrey's talking about her Archie inheritance. Nick was loaded. He didn't need insurance, says Audrey. That makes him a bigger crook than Imran thought. Audrey doesn't think Nick is a killer. Imran thinks her grandsons are walking all over her. You call that family, he says. And, and this she seems to give tooth, yes. Audrey some pause. pause. Yeah. Then she's back at number eight, fresh from the police station. Fuck David and fuck Nick. They're guilty of money laundering, fraud, insurance scams, and ran it aside. David's like, what? Audrey doesn't want to hear it. She's conned out, and off she plops. That was a good line. I'm conned out. Yeah, I'm all conned out. Yeah. Oh, oh see, now. Now you're the baddie. I'm all conned out. Then Nick and David are at the barbers, and Nick has the audacity to be annoyed at his gran. <laughs> he says that she's driven by pride and greed. Oh, go fuck yourself, Nick. <laughs> he tries to concoct a plan where David takes a rap for this. He calls it damage limitation. They say they got in too deep, they turned a profit, and planned to pay Audrey back. David, understandably, isn't keen on this idea. No. This would keep the police away from the insurance job angle, but David isn't convinced. No. He'd be the granny robber. Nick says he'll make it worth David's while. He'll sign the whole place over to David. Nick loses his job, but keeps his family. David doesn't want to go to prison. Nick doesn't think that... Forgetting that that David has a family that's actually his own kids. Because Nick's like, I don't want to lose Oliver and Leanne. Somehow forgetting Simon in this process. And, you know, and it's like, wait a second. David would lose his kids who are actually his kids. Are they his kids? Yes. David's kids are David's kids. Max isn't his. No, Max is, Max is adopted his. Right. Yeah, so he's his. Okay. There's a legal obligation he has to that child. 
Nick has not adopted Oliver. <laughs> or Simon. Or Simon. I don't think Simon would be all that interested in that. Yeah, well, you never know. He, Simon did seem to like Nick there for a while, but he does like his dad, Peter, even more because poor Simon is really at a loss for yeah, good, a, strong male role models on the street. It's a beggar's banquet, isn't it? No. David doesn't want to go to prison. Nick doesn't think that would definitely happen, and if it did, he could hack it. And once he's out, yeah, he's been there before. He'd been, he'd be set for life. What so a barber shop! That probably will go under because the only person there cutting hair will be in prison. Yes. What? I just have images of poor Craig turning up day after day. <laughs> Where is going everybody? To be hoping that Natalie's going to be there and sadly having to turn Aww. his head and <laughs> walk away. We really need to find a girlfriend for him. So that's as far as we get with that story this week. Yes. It looked, it looked for a long while during that that Nick was going to be the super duper villain. Did it? I thought so. I thought he's just so desperately trying hard to cover his tracks over oh, this, and yeah, but there had to be something else going on. Was it evil? Was it villainous? He's still insisting that he didn't do the roof. You know, and David's like, absolutely. He's like, after Kylie, would I do that? Would I do that to, you know? And you believe him and trust him. And even if Nick was responsible, David wouldn't have been responsible and would have had no idea because David doesn't benefit from the roof collapse. No. So to imply that David had a part in that, even if David had a part in stealing money from Audrey, it's kind of a stretch. I think Nick is right, though, that the only way to to distance this from the roof collapse and the insurance job is to make it make it all David's fault. But that's a tough sell. Yeah, that's not going to fly. Unless he just ends up going that way without David's consent and just says, this is what happened. Yeah, but then David could say, no, that's not what happened. This is what happened. And then you have, he said, he said. He he said. said. <laughs> and I mean... Hmm. Proof would be more on David's side than than Nick's. And they've already been looking at Nick and turning the screws on Nick. Yeah. And in front of a court, I don't know, I think uh, Nick's resting bitch face would give a, a jury far more to work on than, mm. than David. Mm. So mm. I don't know. I don't know how successful that would be. Oh. <laughs> hi, hi, Benny. If indeed that was the way it went. Anyway. Hmm. Our next story tonight is horse. <coughs> no, it's just a frog in my throat. Oh, that's, I think, wins an award for the worst joke ever told in this podcast. Not a dad, but I tell dad jokes. On Monday, Paula's had a break-in to uh, her house. Has she? Her kitchen is trashed and she has a swanky dinner party planned for prospective clients or something. I don't know what that was. Yeah. Sally, now, why would somebody break into Paula's house? Why do people break into any house? It's kind of weird though, isn't it? Is it? She's she's Nick's solicitor. About so, this whole... So? I don't know. Sally tells Sophia that they can have the dinner party at her place. She also wants to talk to Tim about that horse, but Tim's not interested in the horse. Hmm. The horse guy is there with a lovely horse. 
It's a it's a thoroughbred. Yeah, they say it's a thoroughbred. It's not a thoroughbred. After a brief moment of consideration, the four investors, that's Sally, Yasmin, Yasmin Jenny, and Sinead, all decide that they're in. Yay. In the Rovers, Sally pays cash to the guy hmm. who essentially does a runner. Right, and she pays ca- her own cash. She hasn't gotten cash from, from the other else. three no. yet, which is odd. They go outside to look at their purchase, and when they open up the trailer, they discover that the thoroughbred horse has been swapped for an old grey nag. Who's not really an old grey nag. It's a dappled grey horse. It looks like a fine horse. There's no sway back. It doesn't look that old. It's just grey, which horses can be grey from birth. It doesn't look as nice as the first lovely horse. I would disagree. They've been hard. Sally reckons there must be a simple explanation for this, but when she phones the guy, ruh The phone is out of service. There's no answer yet. So on Tuesday at Sally's, after a quick recap of the state of affairs, Sally gets a call from the stables. Rather than having six months paid up, they're six months in arrears. Get this fucking horse off our property, they say. And where are we going to put this stupid horse? And I've got this dinner party to, to plan... And by plan, I mean go over and buy food at the bistro. Yeah, get Robert to, to cook. Yeah, to pass off as my own. And also, this is weird. And I mean, it. They do say, you know, and I think was it Sally who says, "This is ridiculous. I got thrown in prison for this thing, and yet this guy gets away scot free." Yep. Essentially, you'd think that the stables would have some sort of way to get a hold of this guy and not hold. Sally responsible for the months that the horse was there when she didn't own it during that time. Yeah, I, I don't think the stables want the money from Sally. They just want the horse off the stables. Yeah. So Tim's tidying up ahead of the dinner party. In comes Sally and the other three members of the syndicate who don't seem too keen to help Sally out. Right, which is bullshit. Sally doesn't need this today of all days when Paula's really depending on her. It means everything to Paula, she says. It does it. Tim says that he'll take care of the pit pony and we'll sort it out. They'll listen all right, he says. And Sally is very turned on by this assertive side of Tim. And at this point, perhaps even beforehand, I was reminded of a dozen or more episodes of the British TV sitcom Terry and June. Terry and June was a 1980s sitcom about a white couple of middle-class, middle-aged people living in suburbia where Terry and his harebrained schemes tended to get him into scrapes, usually from his tyrant of a boss, Sir Dennis Hodge. So this is different from Benny and June, yes. the movie with Johnny Depp. It literally couldn't be further apart from that. <laughs> it was dated when it was first shown, and it's a farcical form of comedy that has been lampooned over the years, most notably by Mitchell and Webb's Get Me Hennemore series of sketches. I don't know if you've seen that. Hennemore! No. Blank look. Uh, no, I was just thinking that that reminds me more of um, what was that British sitcom with the old people and the woman seemed to think that she was above her station and their last name was Bucket, but she kept insisting that it was Bouquet. Keeping up appearances. Yes, keeping up appearances. I thought, so this is kind of like keeping up appearances because Sally seems to think that she's above her station. Yeah, the, the farcical element of it though was... Because everything's going to come together and the, the the horse element of it and the dinner party element of it are obviously going to clash together and right, yeah. disaster is going to ensue. Ha ha ha. So, yeah, we all sat back, strapped ourselves in and waited for that to happen. Correct. 
So Robert is at Sally's with the dinner for tonight. Sally is claiming responsibility for the spread and she tells Robert that if all goes well, she'll introduce the Weatherfield Elite to the Bistro later. That was definitely a Hyacinth bouquet move. Right, yes. And, and uh, Robert's like, well, so I guess I brought these business cards for nothing. Yeah. Yeah. Sally's looking forward to this enormously and wonders what annoys was that Tim claims was him. He tells her she doesn't need to worry about the stables anymore. Then Sally goes out the back and finds that Tim, somehow, has got a horse into Sally's back garden. The horse, it seems, has found the journey quite traumatic, if you know what I mean. Hmm. Tim has grown quite attached to the bee man, he says. Yes, he has. That's sweet. Sally needs fucking wine. Yes, he does. Now. On Wednesday, Sally's entertaining Jackie and her man, Julian. Jackie and Julian, really? Yep. Jackie is quite impressed with the place and Sally brags how deep her shag is. (laughs) But not that way. At least we don't think so. No, but she does. She does say something that's kind of a double entendre. Yeah, she and realizes. I can't... There's not a woman here who wouldn't appreciate a deeper shag. And then Paul is like, "If you know what I mean." And Paul's like, "Okay, dokey then." Yeah. Why don't we go to the conservatory? But Tim says that they can't because they're decorating. And then the horse whinnies, and Tim's acts like Sally sneezed or something, or farted, or, or farted or whatever. Tim's, or Tim's, something. Tim's quite difficult on Wednesday. He's trying to cover for his beloved horse, who he loves, even though he can't pronounce his name. The meal is a hit, but Jack is keen to know how Sally prepared the jugged hair, which of course she didn't. The, t- the Terry and June factor is raised when Yasmin and Tim's dad storm and want to know what the fuck a horse is doing in their backyard. <laughs> Jackie reveals horses are her passion. She once had her picture in Horse and the Hound. Well, which one were you, says Tim. But I'm pumped. She seems a bit drunk now. Tim's dad says the jugged hair looks suspiciously like what you had for his dinner back at the bistro the other night. Anyway, says Sally, and ushers them all out. The dinner has been a huge success. Jackie really wants to see this horse, and Sally bigs up too much for some reason. Yeah, that that confused me, why she's like, oh, well, you you don't want to see him. He's he's high-spirited, he's a thoroughbred. And it's like, Sally, you know everybody's going to go back and see this horse eventually. So why are you just digging your grave deeper? Yeah. So Sally has to relent, and the horse is leaning over the fence, eating Yasmin's flowers, and has shot all over the garden. Jackie, Fertilizer. Jackie and Julian aren't too impressed, but Jack, but Julian, as he's uh, patting the horse, then the horse pisses all over Julian's shoes. Which is weird, because he's like midway into the horse, petting the horse, so there's, there's no way that horse is peeing directly on his shoes yeah. unless his body is weirdly the trajectory stretched. seems strange yeah. yeah yeah they did that simply for comedy's sake and it doesn't make sense and it was kind of weirdly out of place in such a dramatic week you know it didn't really add anything to the week i thought no no yeah i wouldn't i, I quite liked it on thursday but up till then it was this isn't really landing, I don't think. No. But on Thursday, though, the clean-up after the dinner party is underway. But outside, the horse has turned the back garden upside down. Not only that, it seems to have fucked off. Yeah, it's done a runner yeah. through a whole bunch of other people's yards. So at Tim's, Abby's not sure how you lose a horse. <laughs> and Tim's dad is an annoying prick. Yes. We're about to split up into search parties when we find that the horse has managed to work its way into the conservatory. And Tim seems actually quite happy about this. Yes, he's quite chuffed to have his wee friend. Tim has made a friend in the horse, even though he can't pronounce his name. 
They're going Which to have is to weird. It. He's tiny from now on. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this is this is so obnoxious. Oh, look, look at this poor uh, lower class man who can't pronounce Heracles. It's not that hard to pronounce at all, Heracles. Wemma. It's not like yeah. It's not like his name is. It's not like the horse's name is Booted Edge or uh, Quetzalcoatl or Mashantucket. Oh. Or. You don't have to say anymore, but I think we get the idea. <laughs> yeah, seriously, it's Heracles. Sally comes out to say that the stables have been on the phone and they've come to a deal, but don't ask me how much it's going to cost. Then Tim sings "Born Free" to his new best pal. Oh, I like I liked that bit. I liked that. Tim is made, is bonded with the horse. Yeah, I like that as well. Yeah, that was cute. Sally has got the syndicate together to discuss payment and a schedule for helping to muck out and all that. Everyone has an excuse about being too busy, so Tim pretends that it's a burden, but he'll do it. But secretly, he, he, he really he's wants to He's quite happy it. about this. Tim's dad says, no one likes a martyr. And everyone says, well, no one likes you, to Tim's dad. <laughs> yes, so go fuck yourself. <laughs> you fucking prick. What a tit. I think this is kind of over now, isn't it? I, I don't there wonder are, if this is done or not. I don't care. It was it was there. It, it, it filled some time. There was a horse peeing on someone's shoes. Oh. <laughs> Impossibly. Uh, yeah. Tim likes a horse. Tim's dad is a tit. And that's about it. Yeah. So, our next story tonight, our penultimate story, there's only four storylines this week. Ooh. Is about Gary. On Monday at the Factory Slash Community Centre, Sally has let Gary in on a bank holiday and we see that someone has left an envelope for Gary. Sally reckons it'll be some hints and tips from Nick, because that sounds totally like something Nick would do. He opens it up, and it's his passport. (gasps) Well. Meanwhile, during the Hollybob storyline, Audrey and Sarah have a wee heart-to-heart about Gary. Which annoys me to no end. Yep. Sarah seems to be conflicted about him. She's really not. Then Gary bumps into Leanne in Roy's roles and he wonders why she hasn't gone on the Holly Bobs and she said she just didn't fancy it, but now that he's got his passport back, the world is his oyster. Hang on a sec, how do you know about that? He needs to know if this is to do with Rick and Leanne re- reluctantly realises that she's put her foot in it and she fills him in. Mm-hmm. Then Audrey gives Gary a call, which again was strange. She tells him Sarah is missing him and asks him to come to the lodge even for just a few days and he thinks that that might be a great idea right now. Ugh, and it's like, Audrey, butt out. So Gary is packed and ready to leave when he gets a call down the dark alley, and he's about to answer it, he's knocked out by a masked figure with a cricket bat. And it turns out that it's Rick the Chin who was the masked man. He somehow managed to get Gary into the back of a van on the street, got them all trussed up, buckle up, buckaroo, he says, and the van drives off as Gary pleads for his life in the back. In broad daylight, in the middle of the street. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Mm. People really don't like Gary, do they? Don't <laughs> yeah. so choose it then. Gary is really in quite bad shape. Literally chained to a post in Rick's office. What did you think about the chains? I don't think about them at all. They just looked kind of fake and novelty. And I didn't realise it was chains. I thought it was like rope. No, he was chained. He was actually chained. Oh. I didn't notice. Rick wants to know what Gary's playing at. Gary has no idea, so Rick lamps him. That'll teach you, he says. Rick is enjoying a ciabatta as he threatens Gary. He makes a bad pun that neither Gary nor Sharon appreciates. 
Rick thinks women aren't great at comedy or breaking and entering. They're only good for one, one thing, thing, if you know what I mean. Ha ha. Gary doesn't know wink, what wink. he's talking nudge, about. Nudge, nudge. Rick explains about the passports being stolen and then Gary's passport happened to be in his back pocket. What's Rick supposed to think? Sharon knows it was his well Sarah done, done Gary. It. Just stick it in your back pocket Jeez. afterwards. Rick says that Gary needs a much better excuse. Meanwhile, Audrey and Sarah are on a bench chatting about Gary. Sarah's not sure it's worth it with him, but Audrey reckons that all couples go through what Gary and Sarah have gone through. No, they don't! <laughs> no! Hmm. No! Remember you... that time I was kidnapped by a loan shark and yeah, remember had my passport when you went... stolen? And... Yeah. Remember when you lost all of our money and we got kicked out of our home? Yep, and we had to live with Audrey. Oh, God, and sleep on, sleep on uh, pool Wine rafts. Rolls, yep. uh, and uh, Audrey goes on and says to th- that uh, her and Gary are great together. Audrey is clearly on meth. Yes, she is. She admits to asking Gary to join them and he said he'd try to come. Well, he hasn't tried very hard, says Sarah. That's because he's tied up in yes. Rick's office. I'm kind of in chains at the minute. And back in Rick's I office. jam all over my face. Gary's face is covered in jam now. And Sharon <laughs> doesn't look like she's enjoying this. No. She's not a strawberry jam person. I think she's no. more an orange marmalade. Or, or grape. Rick threatens Sarah and Bethany. He needs compensating for all of this. So Wednesday. And Harry. He, he, he threatens Harry too. Gary's still covered in jam and still shackled up in novelty chains. And Rick is putting down a sheet to keep the carpets from getting all jammy. But Sharon says that she's seen enough. She's out. She's not into this. Gary begs for her to help, but she says that she's sorry and she leaves Rick to say threatening things about white vinegar. <laughs> this is what that's what makes it so difficult for me to believe in Rick as a as a baddie. As a baddie because he's Because he's such a He's constantly eating. <laughs> he's worried about the carpet. Yeah. He knows far too much about white vinegar. And how well it cleans blood yeah. out of carpets. And, and and he's got a plant named Susan. He's, prob- he's a he's a closeted homosexual, isn't he? It's, it's it's a huge leap to go from being a loan shark to killing someone to actually killing someone. Yeah, and he implies that he does this a lot, which really. Mm. Mm. At the lodge, Sarah is worried about Gary not showing up, so decides to phone Leanne and asks to borrow Bethany's phone. Because remember, her phone is lost. Yes, let's remember that. Mm-hmm. Let's never forget. No. Sarah's phone is lost. Where could it be? And seemingly only Sarah's. Yeah. Meanwhile, Rick has to postpone killing Gary. Something has come up. There's some business that he needs to take care of. So off he goes. Hmm. Struggling on the floor, Gary manages to get his hands on a phone and calls the police. No, he doesn't. No, he doesn't. What does he do? He calls Sarah, what? whose phone is missing, to tell her that he's going to die and that he loves her. I've not got long, love. I'm in a bit of a mess here. I'm covered in jam and I can't get out, but I love you and I'm sorry. And he warns her about Rick and tells her to uh, be careful. And there's something else that he needs to get off his chest. But we don't hear it. We don't get to hear it. Mwah. But we kind of work out what it is. Yeah. Then Rick's back. He's got his hands on the golf club and is about to pan Gary's napper in when the police knock at the door. Rick does a runner and disappears somewhere, somehow. Well, no, he he runs and the, the, the police capture Rick. Oh, they do? Yeah, they get him. And Gary, who's 
in a lot of pain, supposedly, manages to crawl out of the office and out onto the street and doesn't wait for the police to find him there. No. Why? Why? On Thursday, Gary has found himself in hospital. Mm -hmm. His guardian angel found him in the street and brought him in. The police will be wanting to speak to him. The doc goes to get a phone so Gary can call Sarah, but on his own now, Gary gets up out of the bed and goes to leave. Yeah. So they've they've found this man all bloodied, passed out on the street, and they take him to hospital, but they don't put an IV in. Nobody's cleaned up his face. All of these things that would have been done in the ambulance on the way to the hospital. One would have thought. One would think. Oh. Sarah's home and sees Gary hobbling to the house. He's been Covered checked in out of hospital and he needs to get out of here and he's pissed that she hasn't heard his message. He explains about Gary trying to... No. He, he explains about Rick trying to kill him and how this was all because of the passports. If Sarah wasn't the one who called the cops and it wasn't, then who was it? It was Sharon. <laughs> Sharon. Yeah, of course it was Sharon. Who else yeah. was it going to be? And that's it. Well, that's not as far as we get with that story. No. Because... But we're going to take a pause on that. Yes. And come back to it on... Friday of our final storyline of the week, which is Carla. Yeah, it's the Carla stuff. On Monday, the doctor is in seeing Carla. Peter says she's been eating well. She hasn't been out of the flat and she's fidgeting with her fingernails. She can't look at the doctor and she goes away to the bathroom. The doc thinks that she's still paranoid and she needs to keep taking the meds. But we're still kind of happy with the whole treating her at home kind of thing. Right, even though she thinks Rana and in are still alive and is talking about crazy things. Michelle is visiting Carla, who, if anything, is getting worse. She can't talk to Michelle and goes off to the bedroom again. Peter's scared of what she'll do if he lets her out of his sight. He feels like he's lost her. And that's all that happens on Monday. Mm-hmm. And then nothing happens on Tuesday. And then mm-hmm. on Wednesday, the police are at Roy's flat looking to speak with Carla. Peter tries to stall, but the police need to talk to her. D.S. Beckett has a responsibility to investigate Rana's death. Right. So Peter relents. Yeah, she's and she says that she's just there to confirm that Carla is actually crazy and that she's not making it up, which is fair point. Fair point. But you'd think that you know, reading the doctor's reports would be enough to prove to prove that, but maybe not. I would have thought that somebody else would have to be there as well to kind of corroborate. Right, because it's just Beckett by herself. Mm. Carla is uncommunicative to Beckett's questions about the roof collapse. And meanwhile, Peter gets on the phone to Scott. And that, like... The therapist. Who the fuck's Scott? But he's the therapist. Mm. Beckett wants to know if Carla will come to the station when she feels better, but she acts all manic and paranoid. Then in comes Scott, the mental health worker, and Peter begs begs him to put a stop to this. Scott thinks Carla isn't fit to be questioned. Beckett leaves it at that, but says that she'll be back. Right, and Beckett seems... Somewhat convinced by the fact that Carla keeps telling her that they are keeping Rana away from her and that Rana is still alive right. and stuff. So I think D.S. Beckett is convinced. That Carla's a Fruit Loop, yes. Not a nice thing to say, Broom. <laughs> Scott makes sure Carla takes her meds. They'll soon have her on the mend. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Carla doesn't know what that means and goes off to the bathroom where she forces herself to vomit. Out the pill mm-hmm. and it's weird because like you know she sticks out her tongue to prove that she swallowed it and scott's like oh no love you don't need to do that we trust you and then immediately after she's taken her medication she goes to the bathroom which any trained professional would say 
wait a second. Yeah, that's not coincidental at all. No. And any trained professional would be taking blood samples periodically to confirm that the medication is in her system, especially since it doesn't look like she's getting better. No. I think because <laughs> these things take weeks to take effect. Right. Sometimes. Mm. I... Uh, entertainment very rarely gets mental health right and the treatment of mental health right and accurate in a storyline. I don't feel like they really did their research very well when it came, when it comes to Carla's psychosis. I think they've done Carla very well. I think the, the, the treatment of it hasn't been all that great. I think there's kind of obvious gaps. You think, well, I don't think, I'm not sure that would happen. But then they're coming at it from the point of view of telling a story and and dramatic license, I guess, has to be taken yeah. into the equation. But It's not really helpful to people who actually suffer from mental health illness, you know, because then people make assumptions that they're crazy people who are digging pretend microchips out of their ears and covering cameras all the time right. and stuff. You know, it's like how... how one-dimensional they made Craig's OCD you know with the stereotypical light switch thing and stuff it's still a thing though yeah anyway continue yeah but if it's still a thing then does that make it wrong to show that if people do do that it feels like a, a trope and a stereotype to fall back on Instead, because and then it makes it seem like everybody with OCD does that when OCD can present in many different ways. Yeah, you know, and then I remember seeing a, a program about it uh, where someone was obsessively counting stairs. Mm-hmm. I always count stairs, <laughs> but I'm I, I, but I tend to only count in fours. I go one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four. I just, mm. that's what my mind does when I'm climbing stairs, but I don't find that to be a problem. No. It doesn't concern me, but and, I think it's I when mean, it does start mental, to concern you, then maybe yeah. that's when it becomes a problem. All mental health is a spectrum. Yeah. Isn't it? So, but it's just, sometimes it's kind of frustrating when you see the same bits of the spectrum presented over and over and over again without without nuance and that's just that's just my one little preachy 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 thing and now i'm done and let's continue on thursday then peter's having a ciggy outside roy's rolls when johnny power walks by (laughs) in a hood hiding himself i didn't know who it was she wants him to get his fitness up he says they talk briefly about carla who peter seems to think will be right as rain once the medication kicks in he's got a fitbit which he calls a bracelet yes (laughs) Johnny and Kate then are at Roy's and Peter doesn't think this is a good idea. Kate's just trying to help and has brought some magazines over. Peter tries to usher them out but then Carla walks into the room and she hides behind Peter. Kate asks if she's alright and Carla whispers to Peter what to say. Kate and Johnny sense that nothing is right and they make their excuses and leave. Then in Roy's roles, Peter, Johnny and Kate are having a post-mortem about what happened about that nightmare of a visit. Mm -hmm. And Kate is the voice of reason. And I feel like we should have a Kate being the voice of reason jingle. I don't imagine we'd use it very often, 
but it feels like it should be somehow highlighted. Right, because Kate's the only one who says, this is wrong, and she really needs to be in hospital, and she really needs to be sectioned, and this is way too much of a burden to put just on Peter, who, let's all remember, Roy dragged out of rehab when he wasn't (laughs) ready to come out of rehab, which is also a mental health issue. Alcoholism is a mental health illness, and nobody seems to remember that. Yeah, so... I can't believe I'm going to say this. Well done, Kate. Yeah. In Roy's rolls, Imran notices a leak through the ceiling. Peter thinks it's coming from the bathroom and immediately dashes upstairs, fearing the worst. But in the flat, Carla has flooded the bathroom. She thinks they've put a chip in her ear and then in comes Ken and Carla rushes back to the bathroom. Peter realises that he's in way over his head. He needs a fucking drink. They're going to take her away and Ken is with him. He wants to help. Carla is going nowhere, he says. But in the bathroom... Carla's on her phone looking to buy train tickets. If it's Southern Rail, she really is going nowhere. (laughs) And that's... But I'm pumped But I'm here all week. (laughs) Try the veal. Tip your waitress. Yeah, she floods the sink and the bathtub for some reason. And Peter's very upset because I guess she could have electrocuted Roy with the water dripping onto some electronic equipment that Roy keeps behind in the kitchen. All his electronic gadgetry. Apparently. Is underneath the kitchen in the bathroom. Yikes. And then then she's like, you can't hide forever. I'm not hiding. I'm in the bathroom. And flushes the toilet. And it's like, come on. So on Friday, this is the Friday episode that we've been kind of hearing bits and pieces about for quite a while. It's It's the Carla episode. Right. And it was presented as if it's just going to be all Carla. I was kind of expecting an yeah, all Carla really. episode. It's mostly. Yeah. Yeah. They really went for something different though, I think. The colour palette seemed kind of drained. There were lots of jolts of sound and wavy focus to disorientate and try and give a, a sense of uh, confusion. Ooh, and, look at the crazy person. And I don't think a boiling kettle has had such an effect on Corey before in the past. I thought it was pretty well done. Okay. There was bits of it that I really enjoyed. Okay. Carla's back at the flat, acting sketchy when she sees a video camera on the desk and immediately panics. She uses a tea towel to cover it up. And it also seems that she's been hoarding mobile phones from, for some reason just out of nowhere. Where did that where come did from? She, and where did she get all of these mobile phones? Where did all these cell phones come from? If she hasn't been out of the flat and hasn't been associating with anybody for a long time how is she snuck out to steal people's cell phones is rick the chin supplying her i don't know (laughs) who knows she also thinks the bread box is spying on her so she covers that with a tea towel as well yep and she grabs a framed photo of Haley and throws it and all the phones into her bag while the kettle approaches boiling later presumably social services and their mental health worker and peter are asking her if she still feels safe here she was very stressed out yesterday about the device in her ear Carla hits Peter for telling them about it. She thinks she's evil, but Peter tells her that she's not. They'll come back to check on her tomorrow, they say, and Peter will make sure that she keeps taking the meds. And the social worker lady has to take off her glasses because Carla thinks she's got a camera in her glasses. She thinks she has Google glasses. Yes. She thinks Google glasses are still a thing. They're not a thing anymore, are they? (laughs) No. (laughs) That's probably a good thing. Yes. And again, no one sees this as a red flag. No. Or if they do, they don't think it's as so much of a red flag that they have to bring her in. So as the social worker, the doctor and Peter exit the flat, Carla is somehow behind them in a hoodie and sneaks out ahead of them while they chat. Right, and while 
inexplicably and well opportunistically Roy's roles is really packed and really stop messing with that stop messing with it it's not going to heal if you keep messing with it Gav burned himself on the grill grilling corn the other day everybody yeah uh, uh, and he keeps messing with his burn I didn't I, I just brushed you it against were my touching jeans it. I brushed it against my jeans I've don't touch it, it and I've taken the top ba- off it you need to put a bandage on that woman bandage oh, okay. not put it edge Anyway, you were saying. Oh, um, I can't even remember what we were talking about. Oh, oh, were we, t- were we still talking about Google Glasses, or were we past that? Oh, it's very opportunistic that all of a sudden there's lots and lots of people. Don't look at it. <laughs> <laughs> there's lots and lots of people in Roy's roles. It's swamped, and nobody looks in her direction. No. Then Gary sees Sarah on the street, still no sign of her phone. She tells Gary to get some rest, and Sarah explains that she heard that Carla's in a really bad way, so if Nick is responsible for the roof, then he has more than Rana's death in his conscience. She's lost her mind, and Gary nods thoughtfully. Mm-hmm. Then Carla is walking down alleyways and gunnels and freaks out when she sees her own missing posters and runs when she sees Gary. They've got to him too, she says. They're everywhere and they want her kidney now. Holy shit, says Gary. <laughs> Carla seems to be seeing lots of staring pedestrians who aren't there when Gary looks. And Gary goes to call Peter, but Carla snatches his phone. Gary needs his phone back and manages to talk Carla into having a look into her bag. I think we're maybe meant to see that Sarah's phone's in there. Yes. But when Gary goes, Gary goes to get it, Carla pulls away. She finally relents and gives him his phone before running away. But she doesn't give him his phone. He takes Sarah's phone. Oh, really? Was that what happened? Yes. Yeah, I guess so. Well, obviously, because later on, we'll see Gary with Sarah's phone. Yeah, I didn't think that happened at that point. I think that happened later. No. And I'll tell you when I think it happens. When it happens. She makes her way to a park and sits way too close to a stranger. Yeah, that was weird, because this is Carla, who's suspicious of everyone, and then all of a sudden she sits really close to a stranger Carla, and starts talking to her. Carla tells her about the chip in her ear and asks if she has a pen knife. She needs a stranger to cut out the chip. The stranger goes to get help, by which I mean runs the fuck away. <laughs> then Carla sees a figure in a red raincoat and thinks it's Haley. A red raincoat and like a a, a T-length black skirt, which Pe- is kind of a weird combination. Peter's at the Rovers explaining how Carla has done a runner. How did Peter manage to let this happen? And how does she think that Peter's now the enemy too? She's vulnerable and anything could happen to her. This is an absolute disaster. And he blames himself, which he should not do. Carla's running down the street shouting on Haley, and then we see the red coat up the fire escape on the side of the snooker hall where Tim didn't fall to his death a few months ago. Johnny calls the police, even though it means that they might section her. Was it Tim or was it Steve? I thought it was Steve who was up there. No, it was Tim when he was drunk, worried about Sally. Oh, that's right. Then Michelle sees Carla climbing the stairs. There's no red coat ahead of her, obviously, and then Peter goes up the fire escape after her. Carla is thrilled that she's caught up with Haley, which Peter overhears. And she shouts down, thinking that Carla's not going to hear. She thinks she sees Haley. <laughs> <laughs> right then. Thanks. Carla tells Haley that she needs her, but when Haley turns round, <gasps> it's the face of Rafa Benitez. No, it's not. It's Rana. It's Rana. And she's all grey and zombie looking. And Rana, oh, she looks pissed. You mm-hmm. killed me, she says. Carla shouts that she's dum, sorry dum, to dum. Rana. I'm going to burn in hell, she says. And Peter cautiously approaches. He reaches out to her and tells her that everything's going to be okay. (laughs) Carla holds his face and calls him Aiden. She loves him so much. She misses him. Plays along. 
Carla calls herself a waste of a kidney. She's rotten to the core. She's got to go, she says. She kisses Peter and tries to jump to her death, but Peter catches her and holds on to her. And she kisses Peter like she's kissing Peter. She's not... She doesn't kiss him like she's kissing her brother. Meh. Carla now sees this Peter and breaks down his arms as the police and an ambulance finally arrive. Finally. It's about time. And for some reason, the only people out on the street staring up are Roy, Johnny, Michelle, and Kate. Nobody else has walked by. Nobody else has heard the shouting. Nobody else has come out to observe this, even though everybody on that street is incredibly nosy. Not the millions of people that are waiting for their sandwich and Roy's rolls. Right. Not all those people who are walking by earlier when... When Carla was spooked by Gary. Not even Gary anymore. So later, Carla tries to stop getting into the ambulance, but she's forced in. And the police are taking her, or suggesting that she's getting sectioned anyway. Mm-hmm. Carla screams for Aidan, but Johnny tells her that he dead. <sighs> A Poor hospital. Johnny. Carla seems to have been calmed. Peter tells her that she's safe. She's Nothing's sedated. bad going to happen. And he encourages her to get some rest. And he goes off to speak with the nurse. She wants to be sedated. They're waiting for the rest of the team to arrive. There's a process that they need to follow here. Then Carla's door blows open. What are you doing here, she says. But she can't fight the sedative and she falls asleep. Peter arrives at the room with a nurse and she says that Gary was here. She wants to see her bag. She says that Gary is one of them. And Peter says that her mind is playing tricks on her and tells her to sleep again. Peter explains to the nurse about the hallucinations and Carla insists that she killed Rana. And so now Peter has to explain... All of that to the nurse. Mm-hmm. And that's when I think that Gary got the phone. But we don't see him in there. We see, we see like, him in the hospital later. This mysterious blowing of the door. Yeah, we don't see him, but I think that's when he got the phone. Because hmm. now she's telling the truth that she saw Gary and nobody believes her. They think that she's just hallucinating. Right. Outside, the nurse says that they'll monitor tonight and decide tomorrow whether to section her. Peter thinks it's a no-brainer. Yeah, seriously. I'm with Peter on this. He looks back at her and thinks, hmm, maybe Portsmouth wasn't such a bad idea after all. I'm surprised they have... Well, so she's there. She's still in her street clothes on that bed in the hospital after being sedated. Right. They haven't strapped her to the bed. They haven't locked the door. There's no precautions just in case she does a runner and tries to kill herself again. Nothing, nothing has been done that would be done for somebody in this sort of mental health state that may be a threat to their own lives. For somebody who is so detached from the real world. They're, yeah. make, they're doing no... The only precaution they've done is to sedate her. And they didn't even, you know, put in an IV or knock and her sedate out. her that way. No. Yeah. And then we see Gary in the hospital listening to the voicemails on Sarah's phone. He hears the message where he tells her that he's in a mess and there's something else. Gary confesses to sabotaging the factory roof, <gasps> thinking that he'd get the gig to fix it. He hasn't stopped thinking about Ran ever since, and she should tell Imran to give him peace. Then Gary <gasps> limps out of the hospital and away. And that is how we end... And he deletes the message. ...this week's episodes. He deletes all the messages on Sarah's phone, yep. including that one. Yep. Instead of just deleting that one, because deleting all of the messages makes it seem a little bit more suspicious when Sarah gets her phone back and says... Why are all my old messages deleted? <laughs> How did that happen? Blame Carla. By the way, can't blame Carla because then why did you get it back from Carla? Yeah, that's strange. How did Carla get Sarah's phone and those other phones? And who belongs to those other phones? Because we don't see anybody else say, 
I can't find my phone. I hope we find that out at some point because it is quite a big hole. It's weird. And I don't know... Why she would steal all of them. And why if she's so suspicious that somebody is following her and that they're monitoring everything, why hasn't she smashed her own phone? Why is she carrying phones around? You'd think that would be something that she would put under a tea towel right. and then smash. You're right. And she doesn't do that. No. So this looks like Gary is the mastermind of the roof collapse, which mm. I'm kind of not buying. Mastermind? I don't think we can call this a mastermind. He went up on the roof and he dislodged a few things to kind of encourage it to fall in. That's not really a master a master devious plot, is it? And is it, he, I don't buy that he's going to be the new villain of the street. That just, it doesn't, considering the help that he gave to Alex... The help that he gave to Brian and Kathy. The fact that he's still really concerned about everybody. The fact that when he thought he was dying, he actually did confess. Right. None of this points to somebody who's a really bad person. Yes, he did something that caused somebody to die, but that was not his intent. And it was out of desperation because he was like out of money. So what I'd like to believe. I don't know if that's truly the reason why he did it. I, I still like the idea of him doing it because Nick paid him to do it. Or somebody paid him or to do it. Or somebody else. And it's also a wee shame because, as we said in the beginning of all of this, why does Corey seem to always want builders to be the big bad? Yeah, that's why it just doesn't feel right. Another builder is the, and they the make villain him, of the piece. And they make him look like really dark and serious there, which he hasn't looked throughout any of this hmm. before now i mean he still has that goofy haircut <laughs> i think he's stuck with that nah. uh, i don't know how i feel about this it, it wasn't a surprise because of the way that they handled wednesday and the phone message that kind of made it obvious that he hmm. was somehow involved involved in it so it didn't come as a huge surprise but i really didn't want it to be gary no, no, it just doesn't, it just doesn't really it, it doesn't. It doesn't feel right. And I suppose that they're like, ha-ha, look what we did. It's not really Nick. And we tried to make Nick so obvious. Ha-ha, look what we did. Even though Nick really is a bad guy. Yeah, and still and doing evil. He's still yeah. doing really bad stuff. And he's actually a mastermind person who's devious and trying to think things and gaslighting everyone in his family mm-hmm. and everyone on the street and... There are other bad people. There are other villainous people here. Like Rachel, who we kind of know is involved in human trafficking in some way. You know, it's just... Gary? Really? Yeah, it's not really all that interesting enough to be a... And he gets himself beaten up all the time. Is that the... And he's not very bright. No. No, he's not. And... He's not going to do any other villainous things, is he? Because he's not a bad guy. Unless it kind of spirals out after this. Right. Then, and then they he do, has to cover they do, himself. He's they do like to make things spiral out of control. Let's they not forget Sean's homelessness. Poor, poor, poor Carol. I, that's who I thought of when uh, Gail said that Audrey would rather be homeless. I was like, oh, she's going to go bunk with Carol. <laughs> Your moment of the week. My moment of the week. 
And it's a controversial choice because I know the show really wants me to pick something in the Carla episode. But my moment of the week, as I texted you that day, is Gail sticking up for Shona in that whole confrontation in the cabin. The only thing I have against that is it was a kind of blink and you miss it sort of thing. Well, no, it was because. Like one line, wasn't it? Well, no, because, you know, Nick is really taken aback and it feels like everybody's taken aback and it feels like Shona's just kind of like, oh. Thank you, Gail. You know, it's just it it felt like a very defining moment for this family, you know, because Nick is supposed to be this golden boy who can do no wrong. And here's Gail talking back at him and saying that Shona is more family to her can we, than Nick is. Can we broaden out a little bit to just that scene? Yeah. And the whole confrontation. Yeah. OK. I think I could buy into that a little bit more. My favorite bit, I think, was the... Uh, Carla seeing Ran on the fire escape. I really enjoyed that. Yeah, fair enough. That that was out of out of all of the silly, goofy, psychosis stuff, you know, that they throw at her. And let's be honest, the whole microchip in her ear thing, and talking to a stranger and trying to get a stranger to get a pen knife, and kind of the way that they did that whole weird thing with the missing posters where they kind of all shot shot out and were like, "Ah!" and stuff. And the whole covering the bread box with a tea towel. It was a bit much. It was kind of goofy. But we're talking about moment of the week here. Yeah. So if anything in the whole Carla thing is kind of moment of the week, it's when the person turns around and it's Rana. Although you knew it was going to be Rana, I didn't, didn't you? know it was going to be Rana. No, I got surprised at that. Who do you think it was going to I, be? I really hoped it was going to be Haley. <laughs> oh well, but, I was but, I was surprised. But Rana took me by surprise. I honestly was surprised that when she thought that Peter was Aiden, that we would see a shot of what she was seeing, and it would actually be right Aiden. Because it hasn't changed that much in the last year. Because they could have made it work. Yeah. That kind of bummed me out that they didn't do that. So what are we doing then? <sighs> Controversial. Can we have two moments of the week? Mm, that means I have to make two memes. Two memes. So no. <laughs> it's not hard to make a meme. Well, you make As it I keep then. telling the children. Our children are in awe that we make memes. <laughs> yeah, we're content providers, folks. Yes, we are. Oh, wow, I'm there. Something went dark. It's it's the ghost of Rana telling well, we us go, to pick Carla. It's yeah. The show wants us to go with the Carla thing, so let's go with Nick's reveal and uh, Gail sticking up for Shona for Shona and the whole that whole bit. Yes, that's our controversial moment of the week. The boring moment of the week. It was a good week. It was a good week. I have a boring moment of the week. I'd like to pitch. I have one as well. My. Uh, Boring moment of the week is Rick about to pan Gary's lights in, but then gets a call to go away on business, which allows Gary to not call the police, which was not only boring, it was bad storytelling. Right, and then Rick doesn't notice that the phone is knocked over. Did right. you Did you notice that? Of course he didn't. Yeah. Because he was probably eating at the time. <laughs> <laughs> My boring moment of the week would be Robert bringing the food to Sally. Oh, and, that was funny. No, that was funny. And saying, well, I guess I don't need these business cards then yeah that was good i enjoyed that it was kind of boring like i'm giving you okay fine rick going off to do business at a bench in the back garden is our 
For a moment of the week. Morning moment of the week. So that somehow is 9.50. Do you want to wrap this bad boy up? Yes, please. So we are the talk of the street at gmail.com on email and on Skype if you want to leave us a voicemail, which no one has done yet. And <gasps> on PayPal if you want to tip us a couple of bucks if you think the show is worth it. Have, have we made any money from that? No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not holding my breath. No. We, we are, will do Patreon. I will have that set up sometime this summer. No. Yes. We are at Cory Podcast on Twitter and Facebook and we are the talk of the street podcast.wordpress.com if you're interested in reading old articles in a blog. Yes. And if you're interested in bonus content, tell us what kind of bonus content you would want us to provide, what you would pay for on the Patreon. How about movie reviews of <laughs> old Marilyn Monroe, old Marilyn Monroe films where we thought this was okay back then, but isn't really okay now. <laughs> I was going to mention at that point, uh, Ghostbusters was another one that when you watch it back, the, the first Ghostbusters from yeah. 83. Yeah, where Bill Murphy brought. Bill Murphy? Bill Murphy. Bill Murray's character brings Thorazine, a date rape drug, yeah. on his <laughs> on his date. With Sigourney Weaver. Yeah. And hmm. they, they say shit all the time and they smoke cigarettes. I was like, oh my god, this is just not And Dan Aykroyd gets a blowjob from a ghost. I don't re- why don't well, I remember this from... Because we were children, it went right over our heads. The other thing that went over my head was in the movie Deliverance, when Ned Beatty has to, <laughs> had to squeal like a pig. You didn't realise he was being raped? Nope. And See, I was watching that with my granddad, and he must have known. Yeah. But just didn't say nothing. I didn't watch that as a kid, so... A simpler time. Yeah. It's like all the double entendres <laughs> on Three's Company. Anyway. Anyway. Thank you for making it to the end of another <laughs> podcast. <laughs> we will be back next week talking at least partially about Coronation Street <laughs> on the Talk of the Street. Yes. Have, a, have a good one, folks. Bye. Bye-bye. This episode was brought to you by Donahue Solicitors, an award-winning firm of expert compensation claims lawyers. Donahue Solicitors represents claimants throughout England and Wales in their civil actions against the police, data breach, personal injury, and professional negligence claims. To start your compensation claim, go to www.donahue-solicitors.co.uk or call 08000-124-246 today.